You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. This is the first part of another double episode. Soon you'll meet Adam Brown, who in this first episode tells us his story of real personal challenge. And stay tuned at the end of this episode for a sneak peek into part two. With me on Max's Island today is Adam Brown. Adam's actually in London at the moment. So welcome to Max's Island. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tony. Uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Adam, you're probably aware visitors on Max's Island have the opportunity to tell a story of that time in their life when things changed for them. That might have been a change that they did themselves where they pursued something they've always wanted to or maybe just life got in the way, or even life threw you a curveball and gave you something, served you up something that you actually weren't expecting. Adam, do you have a story of an occasion like this? Uh, Tony, I, I, I feel like I have a, quite a few different stories <laughs> that's <laughs> happened, to be honest. And 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 a few of them could could possibly have their own books if I ever sat down and, and decided to write them. But um, the 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 one that's that's most meaningful for me uh, happened uh, was it was approximately about it was about eleven and a half years ago, I want to say, and it was during a, a, a big transition I was having in my life. I I was living in San Francisco at the time. And I was getting out of a, a very toxic relationship. And uh, this, this person actually ended up claiming squatter's rights on, on my apartment. And it just got really <laughs> out of hand. And I was freshly out of uh, having a, a, a DUI with like a, a blood alcohol level of a, a 0.25. Wow. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing is, is that that, uh, that wasn't my first time in doing that either. Um, that was nine years after my first DUI where I also had a, a very similar BAC as well and uh you know got sober for a bit and then and I was living the the suburban life and then moved to San Francisco left 
that partner so that way I could party more and explore myself more and try to understand uh, what it was that I wanted out of life because San Francisco was a dream for me as a, as a child as, ever since I was five to, to live there. Adam, the drinking, was that more socially based or did it have its origins around work? Uh, actually, it, it has its origins around, uh, I'm a full-blown alcoholic. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, it goes even deeper than just work. But I would say that um, my situation with the work that I was doing uh, was not contributing to anything that was that was helping me at all. Uh, was I was very much stuck in a situation where there was no growth opportunities, being stretched very thin, and basically was was in a period of burnout for probably a good decade or so, which is which is actually why I do the work I do now in, in coaching people through that. So I realized I was an alcoholic early on in my 20s and uh, got sober for a few years. Then when I decided to move to San Francisco, I, I relapsed for another five years and partied my ass off also as a, a gay man. That's, that's kind of one of the, that's like the Mecca of, <laughs> of where to go to, to, to uh, live out your your queer fantasies, basically, and um... <laughs> so yeah. were you were you drinking every night, or was it a binge scenario on say weekends? It was every night. It got bad. It got to the point where I would drink um, like a fifth of vodka or whiskey a night or more to the point where I even went into DTs, et cetera. And uh, I would taper it down with like beer or wine and then go back to the hard stuff again. The, the irony is, is that most of my friends in, in the city had to come off of drugs, which was very prevalent, but um, I never did hard drugs. It was just booze, but I did enough booze that, you know, that I think that <laughs> that carried it even further than, than what some people do with, with hard drugs. I was, I was fairly bad. I, I, I even became a, a absinthe connoisseur <laughs> for a while. <laughs> you mentioned you had a couple of DUIs. Yes. And they were a, a, a period apart. Does that mean that during that time you were lucky as well that there weren't more? Because was driving something that was a habit as well, driving drunk? Very much so. Absolutely. I, as, cause I, especially in this, in San Francisco, I actually owned a car and a scooter. Uh, so, so I'm, 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 I'm extremely fortunate. No one got hurt. The, the first one was a very basic scenario where I think I was driving about five miles an hour and I hit a, a, a sign that said road goes in both directions <laughs> and got stuck. Uh, so it was, it was just very stupid and, 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 and clumsy. And, uh, the second time was actually much worse, um, the the sad part is is that I was so into my disease that I, the severity of what I did didn't really even 
um, it didn't, it didn't even dawn on me what I actually had done until I got out of it months later. So I, I probably like a good six months later, I didn't really actually realize what I had done until I got sober. Um, but I, I was pulled over on, um, on the highway, uh, weaving through traffic in a blackout. So I fortunately did not hit, hit anyone, but I, I came to, uh, as I was being pulled over. And uh, to make matters worse, when I was arrested and they put me in jail, um, I, uh, the, the, the cops were so baffled that I, I tend to turn the jail cell into like a whole party. And so like everybody that came in, I was just like, hey guys, <laughs> let's have fun tonight. <laughs> I was just, yeah, hot mess. <laughs> hot mess. And 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 it's crazy that that my only thoughts around that at the time were oh i've been through this before you know i'll get out of it somehow and it didn't even dawn on me to get sober but i had to a, a lot of my stress that i was not tending to um was was based around this relationship and and also around the stress at work and I was not paying attention to my own needs and my own behaviors uh, and, and my own growth. And I eventually was able to escape that relationship and found my own apartment in central San Francisco, right by the Civic Center. And right after I moved, I thought, okay, maybe my drinking will taper off. And uh, I think I held a couple weeks together I had to go to like a kind of like a rehab clinic and I, I did it basically just to show the judge that I was doing something about about my drinking but I wasn't actually doing it for myself so you really felt that the doing that was to make sure the penalty was satisfied and that was it and, and what else was the penalty was it was there much financial or was it just pretty much doing the the, the rehab <laughs> Oh yeah, that that whole process costs about a good twelve grand. So yeah, I uh, <laughs> I I think a lot of it was because like I think you you know twenty five hundred towards like lawyer and court fees, and then uh, another ten grand just to go through uh, a DUI school in order to get your license back so that way you actually kind of understand the severity of, of, of what happened. And because this was my second mark within a 10 year period, it was, it was a, a heavier uh, decision basically um, with the court. And what, what's funny is, is I hadn't started that DUI school yet. And what, what had happened was right in, when I moved to this new place, I drank so hard that uh, after holding a few weeks together that I hallucinated, which I didn't even know you could do <laughs> with just booze, but it got so bad. I was, I think it was, uh, so it was uh, Jose Cuervo silver <laughs> and some, some Mike's hard lemonade. And I, I envisioned myself uh, hanging from the ceiling. That must have been unbelievably confronting. 
it, it was, it was. And it, when I look back at it, 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 it still is. Um, so so uh, if, if anyone's listening who's seen um, the, the newest adaptation of A Star Is Born, um, the, the, that whole uh, ending gets me because that, that's actually what I saw myself doing. Um, it's it it's it's powerful and and you know I think I think a, a lot of people don't really understand that that alcoholism um, really is a mental health issue and it's a it's a disease issue um, you know it's not something to be to be demonized um, the the unfortunate part is that um, you know, the, the brain the brain gets hijacked and uh, the, the, the uh, new synapses can't form and, and the current ones actually uh, degenerate over time. And that's why you get more kind of animalistic behavior over a period of time because, because the brain gets hijacked. For, fortunately, um, actually my, my interest in neuroscience came out of my rehab <laughs> uh, was, was they, they taught me about uh, how addiction actually is, is affected in the brain. And, and now I actually use that for uh, how I teach flow science uh, within my work as well. <laughs> that hallucination, did that change at, at that point or was that just the start of it to doing something different? That hallucination that broke me. So that that definitely was a catalyst. And when I basically came to, I literally had one of those, you know, fall to my knees God moments, like, you know, called called my mother and said, I need help, called called the rehab, said I need help. And yeah, that just that that whole situation just broke me. And I started going to an outpatient rehab I started going to meetings and and it wasn't my first time going to meetings I knew the 12 steps inside and out but I wasn't living them I wasn't embodying it Adam those phone calls to your mother and the rehab place I want to know how you felt after making those phone calls did you have that sense of relief or were you still kind of frightened uncertain or was there a point that you once you made those calls to those people and effectively acknowledged what difficulties you were having how important was that to you from a psychological point of view and how did you feel uh honestly i was in shock i was completely shaky uh extremely afraid um i i felt like like the world had been ripped out from under me I, I, I literally felt like like everything that I had believed and worked hard towards just completely crumbled. And what about the network of friends that you had? Were they there for you or did all of a sudden some of those drinking partners disappear? They pretty much disappeared. Um, well, I mean, I did end up seeing a few of them again over time as I sort of rebuilt myself over the years. But I... I did not have anybody that was actually that close to support me. And I, I realized that I, the one thing I craved was, was this human connection that I was sort of pushing people away from with, with my drinking. That, that's a, a very common trait with, 
with that disease is 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 you, you get so internalized that you just push everyone else away and anyone else who is experiencing anything similar um, will actually do the same thing so their ability to connect on that level um, isn't helpful because it actually forces them to reflect on on themselves so they don't stick around so you mentioned you did the 12-step program yeah and how long did it take for you to feel comfortable in knowing that you were safe again good eight months um i couldn't go to events that had alcohol for quite some time and what was interesting is that was that was just the beginning um i i had to I had to experience quite a few more things to help me even realize sort of the the richness and value um, that that life has to offer. And what kind of became my oh gosh, I don't even know how to say it. I don't even know how to describe this. The, this 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 first year that I got sober was um, and still is such a a a pivotal moment in my life that when I look back on it, it like it, it played out like a film. I, I can't even, um, it's not something that could ever be recreated or forced or, or it was, it was just this divine time where I thought I knew what I needed and something else came in to actually carry me through that process. I started meeting, you know, other other people who were getting sober as well, and that's 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 what we do is is we, you know, we create our own tribe of, of people who understand the experience and, and the journey through that. And what was really interesting was my I want to say it was probably like the third month. I, I'm not remembering now because this is over a decade ago. I started going to meetings and, I, and someone introduced me to somebody who, who was my sponsor at the time. And, uh, and I was also um, doing my community service for the DUI where I was cleaning the jail cells that I actually had to stay in, <laughs> um, <laughs> which, was, which was an exciting uh, chore. Um, especially when you, you you go around in the the toilet area with the bricks and you see something on the wall that it's brown and you just go oh god and thank thank god it's just peanut butter but <laughs> you know I, I still I, it was <laughs> but, I, but I, I i had i had to clean it and it was also starting to do my uh dui school as well and uh, surrounded by other active alcoholics and i was such a good student that they they put me on the board so it was oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah that's another story but um yeah they actually put me on the board of my, my dui school and i served for four years next time on max's island adam introduces us to david who plays a unique role in his captivating story I would go, I would started going to these meetings and I would see 
this guy uh, in, in the Castro uh, in, in San Francisco, where I would go to most of my meetings, um, you know, it's just predominantly a, a gay area. It's not limited to, but it's predominantly a, a, a gay area. And this guy looked like, he'll speaking of, of Star is Born, he looked like Bradley Cooper. His mind was as clear as the sky Completely alone, no emails or phone and 